Hello, hello, and welcome. I am Richard Wesley Johnson, pastor, thought leader, beloved child of God. Amen. I love that. Yes. yes. And right. you right. are? <laughs> I'm Dr. Corey Little Edwards, y'all, and I'm happy to be in the house with Pastor Rich here. Mm-hmm. And this is the Elusive Dream Podcast. Yes. Sophomore season. Sophomore episode season. Episode two. Episode two. Well, I am holding in my hands, everyone, the latest book from Dr. Corey Little Edwards. And you had a co-author on this book. Yes, yes. Michelle Oyakawa. Yes. Yes. And the title of this book, y'all, Smart Suits, Tattered Boots, Black Ministers Mobilizing the Black Church in the 21st Century. Can I just say that's just a catchy title. You like it? <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> that is a catchy title. And and on the cover of the book, everyone is uh, a shirt and tie. That's it. That's it. That's it. Now somebody inspired that mm. that that idea for the for the cover. Well, who would that be? Who who might that have been that that inspired that cover? I feel like this person is real close to me right now. I feel like he might be in the room. <laughs> might yes. be on the microphone. Yes, you right did, now. Pastor hey. Rich. Pastor Rich, y'all inspired <laughs> the cover. So give a you gotta uh, give the brother a shout out for that. Thank you, Pastor hey, Rich. Thank you for inviting me to to play a small part uh, <laughs> in the production of this. You know, Doctor Corey, I said last season in episode mm. uh, in season one that your book, The Elusive Dream was a pivotal book. It was a premier book for pastors of multiracial churches. And I feel like this book has uh, has the potential to have a, mm. a similar impact for black pastors and mm. clergy who are seeking to make a real difference in these cultural times that we're living in right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I hope so. I mean, that's my prayer, really. Mm. Um, I was um as i as i mentioned in the last season you know i've been doing work on pastors and so i've done work on pastors of multiracial churches and past black pastors as well largely who who largely had black churches and my work has really been focusing on leadership in the church and so mm-hmm. and and how um race impacts uh, leaders uh, in the church. So that ended up leading to this book and I'm pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you come to focus on, on this material? You know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting story actually, because I wasn't necessarily planning on doing this study. I had um, um, just gotten tenure and I was thinking about a next project and I was paying attention to, at the time I was heading, I was going to rather a largely black church. Mm. And I noticed that we were being mobilized uh, in a way that I hadn't experienced recently in mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, something's going on here, mm. right? I don't know what it is, but something's going on. And so I just decided to jump in and go for it. Uh, and I really wanted to know what is going on uh, 
in black churches right now that mm-hmm. I'm sensing this on the ground. It's just like a member in the pew, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. I jumped out into it. At the, my co-author, uh, who's currently an assistant professor, uh, Michelle Alcala is a currently assistant professor, but at the time she was a graduate student. And I said, hey, you want to go on this journey with me? And she said, yeah. So we wow. jumped into the field and we got out there and we started talking to pastors and started talking to um organizers. And that's how we ended up doing the book. And your research focused right here in the state of Ohio. Yeah, 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 right. So we focused right here in Ohio. And and the idea behind that was really just to have a bounded geographic area, because I was really interested in understanding how um, religious leaders and civic leaders who want to work with them mobilize. And it's helpful to have a sort of a bounded area. So I focused right here in the state of Ohio. And I was driving up and down, you know, I was going up and down 71. 71. I was going up, and down, <laughs> going 70. all over, going mm. across the state, around the state. I was mm-hmm. driving all over the place, uh, interviewing pastors and interviewing uh, civic leaders and hanging out and watching various activities that they were involved in. So yeah, it was, it was, it was really a great opportunity to get in the field and see what was going on at that time. Yeah. So you're a professor, you're a researcher, uh, but this book is very approachable by anyone. You, mm. you don't need to be a researcher or a sociology academic, you know, professional in order to access this material. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You really wanted to make it accessible to a mass of folks. Yeah, yeah. I really, as I mentioned before, my hope is that the work that I do is not only academic and rigorous in that way, but it's also work that is really um, helpful for the church, for the body of Christ. And so my desire is to make that make the work and accessible in that way. So, yeah, I'm glad that it that you feel that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found it very readable. And uh, under, you can understand every word on the page. OK, y'all. that's <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, and what I loved about it, too, because uh, and I'm assuming this is what what researchers do. You're you're seeking uh, you're starting with a question or yeah. questions yeah. and then you're drawing conclusions from the data that you're you're studying. That's right. And then you're offering some solutions. Yeah. We don't yeah. get that a lot in, in a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> we get ideas. Yeah. But we yeah. don't get a lot of data. Yeah. And then data that leads to a conclusion and then some conclusions that offer some suggestions for how to grow. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I think that if we... Um, if we begin to, ha- we can have all these ideas out there, but if we aren't able to make them practical for people mm. to p- pick up and use, mm-hmm. um, that's just that's an important next step in my view. So um, I aim to do that, and I hope that you know it is helpful for people. So, what were the two questions that were leading you on this journey? Yeah, I was really interested in understanding. Um, if black religious black religious leaders mobilize and if they do when and why do they do that you know how do they do that i just you know there's this kind of this mystique around black religious leaders particularly coming out of the civil rights movement and this idea that black religious leaders would be very engaged in that mm. and we haven't seen that kind of mobilization uh, in the contemporary times. Now, quite frankly, black religious leaders don't have to do that, right? I mean, they are pastors, they're religious leaders, and their primary job is to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, because of the history and the role that the black church has played uh, in the black in the black community, black pastors have had to take on 
additional hats mm. uh, in addition to just being a pastor. I mean, they've had to really sort of guide and shepherd people in their lives outside of the church as well, right? Mm-hmm. They're sort of the central leader. Mm. And so black religious leaders had to have sort of assumed that role historically, not all, but a lot of them have. Mm-hmm. And so I was really interested in understanding to what extent does that happen today and what does that look like? And then do black religious leaders mobilize and when do they mobilize and how do they mobilize? Um, and then I went out there and did my best to kind of get an answer to that. So you, you've used this word mobilized several times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit more. What do you mean by mobilize? Yeah, yeah. So just kind of a lay person is just get people together to make to make a difference, right? Mm. To get get resources together. Okay. And we think about bringing resources together. We're thinking about bringing people together. And we're thinking about getting money so that people can do the things that they need to do to kind of act, right? Mm-hmm. To do some kind of social action. So it's really just just about bringing people together toward a particular goal, mm-hmm. right? And so to what extent are pastors doing that? Black pastors in particular is what I was interested in understanding. And so, um, as I said, we went out there and checked that out. And I also wanted to know, how are they working with other organizations? What we know about um, the civil rights movement era, and really just mobilization work generally, is that people work or groups, multiple groups work together, right? So mm-hmm. different organizations work together. So mm-hmm. we also wanted to know, hey, to what extent are black religious leaders still working with the NAACP? Are they still uh, working with the SCLC? Mm-hmm. Or are they working with other organizations? Okay. Uh, because the faith-based community organizations have really uh, taken off over the past few decades and they're out there as well, right? So are they working with them? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we really wanted to make, get a sense of what's going on. How are they doing that and why? And, um, we were able to find some pretty interesting things, things that were surprising to both of us, actually. Well, tell us, why is that so important to uh, to to uncover the relationships that black clergy and leaders have had historically with other organizations? Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that black religious leaders, particularly in the from the civil rights movement era, mm-hmm. were working with black controlled civic organizations. So as I mentioned, I just mentioned NAACP, SCLC, for example. Um, but as over since, by golly, since the 70s, uh, we saw some new organizations on the scene. Mm-hmm. So as I said, these F- FBCOs, faith-based community organizations, and they've really taken up more of the field, so to speak, of organizing. Mm. Right? And so it wasn't just an opportunity to work with the NAACP. It's just not the SCLC out there you can work with. You can now work with these faith-based community organizations. Mm-hmm. Now, what's particularly what's different about FBCOs is they are largely white-controlled and white-led. Now, they're diverse. Yes. They are diverse. Yes. But they're largely white-controlled and white-led. And that's different, right? That means that there are now these other organizations sort of pulling on black religious leaders, providing opportunities for them to mobilize or to work with them on civic issues. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know, we wanted to know, okay, how does that matter? How does that impact what black religious leaders will do? Okay. Okay. Because that was one of the things that blew me away when I read the book. I was like, okay, Dr. Corey is reading a chapter in my own ministry life where I was working with one of these FB 
COs. See faith-based community, community organizations, organizations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, on a critical issue here in Columbus, Ohio, around uh, police brutality and excessive uh, force, um, use of force by law enforcement. And that's why I got involved in it. But then over time, that was less of the issue that we were working on. Yeah. But then I kept getting invited to be a part of other people's issues. And I was like, something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, why aren't we still addressing this police brutality? This is, this is real. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where I, I just had to back out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like they were using mm. me to, to some regards. Mm-hmm. Did anybody, did, how does that, does that, that make sense? Well, <laughs> you know, it's, that's a really, um, that's a, one of the challenges that can emerge with F- FBCOs. I mean, now the reality is they they vary because there's actually a lot of different FBCO organizations and they tend to, they can compete with one another for resources. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, getting churches to be involved, getting donations and so on. Also for funding from um, foundations, like they get, they get funding from foundations. So they're competing in that way too. And so you will find that they are trying to get people involved and though you'll feel like they're kind of maybe pulling on you a little bit. So well, different the, the, cities have different success, like different cities have different organizations that are in control mm-hmm. of the FBCO sort of field mm-hmm. in that city. And some are more effective than others when it comes to moving forward issues that are central to the black community. Mm-hmm. However, one of the patterns that can emerge uh, because it's not really centered around black people, it's sent, it's a very ecumenical interracial movement that maintaining that energy behind black centered issues is can be challenging mm-hmm. 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 and so even issues then are competing with one another I, you know i was going to say that uh particularly for black clergy who are trying to figure out well how do i get engaged in mobilization yeah. this is almost like a field guide this book mm. smart suits tattered boots mm. uh it's almost like a field guide of how to get engaged and actually to open your awareness of how to do this well yeah. you you mentioned principal uh leaders yeah, uh, yeah, civil yeah. rights leaders yeah yeah can you say just a little bit about about those Legacy leaders. Yeah, yeah, right. So one of the things that um, that emerges in the in the data is that you do have certain leaders that are uh, more central to the network. And actually, this is not particularly not overwhelmingly surprising in the sense that you're all, you're going to find in groups, no matter what kind of group you have, you're going to have some people that are going to be more central to that group than others. And mm-hmm. so what I, what we talk about are what are the characteristics that end up leading to that mm-hmm. and how does that impact the kinds of issues that black religious leaders will mobilize for? Mm-hmm. Because they can mobilize. The question is, what will they mobilize for in today's America? Right. And there are, there are a variety of different things they can mobilize for. So how are those choices made? Those are the kinds of those are the kinds of issues that we, that Oya Kyle and I are, are addressing. Uh, but one of the things that I that I really do want us to take away from the book, well, a couple things actually that I actually don't explore as much in the book, but that are really important, is that Black religious leaders have. Uh, sort of the spiritual and the organizational DNA for for leading this country through issues of racial injustice mm. and to move toward change in this country, in fact, in the world. I believe that fundamentally. Okay. Uh, we have a the black church 
uh, has an understanding of the structures of America in a way that I would argue no other church association, Christian association, religious denomination has in this country. Mm -hmm. And that's because we have had to understand it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. We've had to understand it from the inside mm. out. Right. You know, we had to deal with that oppression yeah. historically. And this isn't something that just goes back two or three generations. We're talking about seven, eight, nine generations yes. going from generation to generation of having to understand, navigate a highly racialized society, mm-hmm. a society that was bent on oppressing people of color, Mm -hmm. starting with our siblings who are indigenous to this place, Mm -hmm. and then also our ancestors who are enslaved. Mm -hmm. And so we have a real deep history of understanding how to navigate that and resisting that. And so I believe that the black church and black religious leaders have this amazing capacity to do this and to not only lead lead the black church, but actually to lead the church, period. Mm -hmm. Right. Because because of this knowledge, because of this understanding, because of this capacity that I would suggest is is unique to the black church socio-historical experience Mm -hmm. in this country. Uh, But yet, we also have to recognize that times do change. Times do change. And after the civil rights movement, we have to move forward and think about, okay, what's going on in America at this time? Right. You you mentioned in the book, which I thought was really, really helpful, uh, that Dr. King saw, he had a framework for addressing the social ills of the day. Yeah. He he pointed out the the moral contract that the yeah. that the Declaration of Independence, you yeah, know, had yeah. presented to us and the Constitution and where it had failed. Mm-hmm. But because of the advancements of the Civil Rights Act and yeah. the Voting Rights Act, that framework is no longer helpful. It doesn't work. It right? doesn't work. Right. And so we have to come up with a new framework. We need a new framework. But what's also really important is that because of the legislation of the of the 1960s that came about as a result of the civil rights movement, that that actually did open up doors for some black people in the United States. Okay. And so we have seen this growth of the black middle class. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that did come out in the study, I didn't talk about much in the book, but did come out in the study is that black um, black religious leaders also have to now navigate a diverse black population mm. by class, right? Mm. Where you all mm. you have on the one hand you have black people who are solidly middle class or upper middle class and doing well, and that's growing, and then you and not necessarily living with black people who are considered who are lower class or working class, mm-hmm. and so that does complicate how to mobilize as well right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in this in this century and so we're having to navigate different ways of understanding the american racialized system we are trying to they have to navigate a broader field of opportunities for who to work with. Okay. And they have to think about what are the tools that did work in the past? And then what are the tools that won't work today? Mm. And how do we move forward so that we can continue the legacy if you want to continue the legacy? Mm -hmm. Because it's not a mandate. 
As mm-hmm. I said, black religious leaders are primarily religious leaders. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, they hold this sacred opportunity and knowledge that no other, I would say, network of religious leaders has. Mm-hmm. That's my, I would argue that, and I feel very strongly about that. And so, how do you move forward? You have to make some adjustments. And so, ultimately, that's what we are arguing in the book. Yeah. That adjustments do need to be made. And yet the capacity is still there. And one of those adjustments you 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 help us to to broaden our imagination for is who's at the table, who who's in the conversation when it comes to deciding which issues we're going to mobilize for yeah. and mobilize around. Yeah. Um, can you say a little bit, just give us a little teaser, don't tell us everything in the book, but just give us a little bit of of how do we broaden our imagination for who those voices can be? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you a story. I remember I had an opportunity to hang out with a couple uh, young women who are leading, uh, black young black women who are leading on campus ministry uh, on a campus. And they were, and it's a, it was black-focused students. It was focusing on black students. And we were talking about the kinds of issues that black students were dealing with, particularly as it related to race. And it really struck me. There's one thing that this uh, leader said, this young black woman said, is that the older black um Black generation, the older generation of black people in church don't understand how we deal with the issues of race that we're dealing with today. Mm. They don't Mm. feel what we feel. They don't feel like the fear that we feel about police violence Mm -hmm. um, because of the young black people that are being killed at the hands of police, unarmed, often black people that are being killed. And and that's that's a real trauma that Mm. that's not. That's not understood at a very at an emotional and at an emotional and visceral way by the older generation, and so I would I would argue that we really do need to bring younger people in as leaders and mm. and 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 listen to to what is what is the racialized Amer what is a racialized America like today for you because that that lens will allow us to understand how to address issues of injustice as the church, because this is ultimately the work of the church for Mm -hmm. us to usher in a place, a space for people to live freely, to, to practice their, not just their, their faith freely. I mean, of course you want that, but you also just to live and be free, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. is a part of the call that we have as, as believers. And so to do that, one way in which we can do that is really bring in young people, younger generations to understand, to speak into this moment and to lead. Mm-hmm. And then I would also say uh, women as well, mm. that bringing women in and not just having women come in behind the scenes, because quite frankly, women have black women in particular have always been doing this work and putting their lives on the line as leaders, as leaders. Right now you're talking about, you know, Ida B. Wells. Mm -hmm. We can talk about Fannie Lou Hamer. We can talk Mm -hmm. about Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth. We know we can go on and on about black women who have really put their lives on the line for justice and freedom. And yet in the black church, and in the church more broadly, and then also it happens in certain segments of the black church that there hasn't been room for black women to have positions of real authority or power. Mm-hmm. And so 
that is critically important mm-hmm. because black women also have a particular lens that will help us to understand and deconstruct yes. how race works in America. Yes. And so we need to bring every we need to bring people in. We it's absolutely critical for us to do this. Do this. Right. Um, and so if then we're also, looking for new frameworks. Yeah. These are voices and eyes. Yes. And bodies yes. that can help us develop those new frameworks to address the racism that we're facing today. Absolutely. Because people who are younger people and women are navigating are actually physically navigating this America Americanized racialized system. Mm-hmm. And the and and learning a lot about how that works. We cannot limit our understanding of how race works to one particular standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so that's that we argue is really important um, as we move forward. So this is a powerful book: Smart Suits, Tattered Boots, Black Ministers Mobilizing the Black Church in the Twenty First Century. Now. Our white siblings are going to want to know, <laughs> well, how do I engage with this material? Absolutely. Well, this, I mean, you know, I think I really believe that we have to see the black church as a part of the church. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the church. Mm-hmm. And the black church, as I mentioned, has something very important to contribute to the church more broadly. Right. And I believe it's time, and I've mentioned this in some ways in other work, for us to follow follow what black religious leaders have to offer mm-hmm. not just the ones that we young women older what the black church has to offer so right. yes everybody can be involved because this is actually issues of justice are about the church yes and everybody should be engaged in that that's right yeah we made that point i i i hope very vividly in season one of the elusive dream that the work of racial justice is not just the work of one particular group of people, unless we're talking about God's children. It is the work of all of God's children (laughs) to be about racial justice because we serve a God of justice. Come on now. The the God who said, let justice roll down like a mighty stream. Mm. Let it roll on. Mm. Dr. Corey, thank you for this work. Thank you for this gift. We bless it and we bless you and may it be a blessing to all the readers out there Thank uh, you. folks want to know how do i stay connected to dr Corey little edwards well there are a few ways you can do that you can find me on instagram it's a uh, god's peace god's underscore peace one uh, Corey little edwards also uh, um, that's a similar handle for twitter and then i'm also on facebook how about and you, Pastor for Rich? For me, I'm on Twitter at Richard Wesley and on Instagram at Rich Johnson Online. And you can follow both of us at our new website, elusivedream.co. Yay. Yay. Where you can listen to this podcast episode as well as download the reflection guide from season one yeah. and all of the exciting ways that we have for you to stay connected to this community this beloved community amen 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 Amen. and what is our final thought that we want to leave our listeners with today well the dream may be elusive but it is attainable amen